1029 The Hog presents another Bob and Brian podcast. Bob and Brian On Demand is brought to you by Marcus Theaters. Imagine a whole theater for you and 20 guests. Book your private cinema at Marcus Cinemas now for only $99. MarcusTheaters.com slash private cinema. Ladies and gentlemen, the greatest buck of all time. John McLaughlin, the first buck. John McLaughlin, good morning. Good afternoon, John. I'm sorry. How are you? Bed and breakfast, my two guys. There you go. Double B. Hi, guys. You sound, you have a really good uh, cellular plan. You sound crystal clear, John. Well, actually, I'm I'm on a hard line. Well, it's not really. It's a hard line, but not a, it's a portable phone. But been listening to you guys. I'm sorry I'm not in there like we always do for the last two hours, but with COVID and then a couple of other things, I haven't been able to, but it sounds like it's working great for you these last two days and for the Mac fun. Well, we've yeah, o- today's been a lot of fun. We've, we, we've had, uh, we've only had a couple of guests in the studio. Everybody else has been on the phone. We had Panos in here and fireman Jim. Uh, so it, with all the COVID going on yet, have you gotten your shot yet, John? I have guys. I, I my wife and I both have received both because of, you know, we're in that age group, <laughs> and um, we received both. Uh, the second one, knock on wood, I, I had no problems like so many people, but my wife had had a day where she was uh, knocked out pretty good, you know, didn't feel well, uh, nauseated, hot, and all of that. lasted one day, but we have been there, and our, uh, with our ages, we needed to be there. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad to hear that she got the shot. I'm glad that that's all taken care of. Uh, yes. and you're, you're still hunkered down at home. We have been guys, um, since March, Pam and I have not been in a restaurant since March. And, um, we, we haven't been in any groups of people. I've been to a few Mac fun things, uh, that we had this summer. Um, as you know, we have 75, 80 events a year and, and we were cut down to about 12 of them. Um, but I was able to go to, to, to them and, uh, like your golf outing and be able to work outside, you know, and talk to people and not get close, wear a mask and leave. I, my wife and I have taken this very seriously because of age and, and underlying issues. And, uh, so we've pretty much been hunkered in and it's getting very old, right? We all yeah. There's a, there's a certain tension that goes along with this. It's just kind of, it's kind of an isolated feeling, a fatigue factor. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm ready ready to be done with this, but you know, you still have to be careful. Well, you know, it it can test uh, a marriage and in our case, it's been easy in that regard, but it's made me think about people that are single if they're isolated and in, in big cities, in an apartment, like in New York, Manhattan, you know, Chicago, San Francisco, that would be really hard this last year. And I, my heart goes out to people that have been struggling and then, of course, the loss of jobs and incomes, it's just heartbreaking. And uh, what gets me, though, guys, and I know that you've thought about it and over-talked it, I'm sure, but it, it, it should wake us all up to how vulnerable we are and how connected we all are. Uh, you know, we've watched for years masks being worn in Japan and China, never thought it would happen in America, and look where we are. Uh, look what happened in Texas. Uh, you think, this is America. This can't happen. Yeah, it can. 
so however it makes us stronger, uh, we we need to be stronger. And, and as it relates to the MAC fund, we, uh, you know, I'm going to state the obvious. Cancer doesn't give a you-know-what about COVID. It's still attacking kids and adults and still putting families through bad things and, and, and unfortunately, in some cases, taking those children. So we have to continue to do our job, and that's why I want to tip my hat to you two and your station for hanging loyal with us through tough times. Well, thank you very much, John. And people have been generous. You know, it's not been the easiest year to get through, but here we are. And uh, people have been generous in making uh, donations and, and bidding on things. And, you know, it's just time to say thank you for that. You know, we had your uh, your old partner, Eddie Doucette, on a little earlier uh, today. Oh, I, I don't know who he is. I try and, to forget him. Well, um, well so, you've, you've, I talked to him yesterday, and and he and I talk often, and I I prepped him a little about you guys and how you like to get off the main street and get into some things, and he loved that idea, and that's as you two know, that's one of the things I love about your show. Uh, oh yeah, he told guys, us about getting uh, locked in the Bulls locker room, and <laughs> you had to do play by play for seven or eight minutes. Yeah, yeah. That happened. It's, that's a true story. And then there was another one where he he, uh, he at the arena here, and we were working together, and um, we were ready to go on the air, uh, coming back at halftime, and you know from commercial breaks, and um, no Eddie, and so I sent one of the guys we work with to go find him, and I you know I kicked it off, and he had been taking some Valium. <laughs> for a neck problem, <laughs> and they found him walking around the halls, <laughs> looking at the walls. <laughs> they said, Eddie, we're on the air. Oh! So, so he's he's uh, he's a little confused. Did he snap right back into the play-by-play guy when you got him back at the table right, with you, like courtside? The, the fast-talking fast yeah, Eddie Doucette? He, he did. He really did. And, and, and he got professional. Uh, he, he, he overcame it. But at the end of the game, man, he was in, he was in the bag. He was toast. And, and it's funny how things like that happened to him. There was a, a time in San Francisco where, I shouldn't tell this, but he and I and John Steinmiller was keeping our stats. John, executive vice president of the Milwaukee Bucks all those years and still with the Bucks. And, and been with the Mac Fund all these years, too. Great guy, very loyal, and helped us start it. The Mac Fund, but so we're doing a game in Oakland, and we're, we're sitting there right at courtside at bef- just before the game started, and like four guys walked in and start bent down and started yelling bad things in our microphones, and then threw a lot of paper that went right by my face on the table. Boy, they and really didn't I, like you and Eddie in San Francisco, did they? Well, you know, the, the, the team or anything apparently, and and so. You know, we're, we're on the air. We didn't do anything. After the game, we, we won the game. And here they came around walking back to the area to go up the stands behind us. And, you know, it, at that time, most of the fans were gone. But there were still probably a few hundred in there. And, again, the guy throws a wad of paper across my face, and they yell obscenities. And I realized at that point, when I, as soon as we get off, I'm going. I'm going for him. Uh-oh. Well, little did I know that Steinmiller and Eddie 
had the same idea. <laughs> and by the time we all got off and disconnected, uh, Steiny and Eddie had two guys already in the stands down, and I got there, and the other two were kind of fortunately standing away. And fortunately, they didn't want to fight. And unfortunately, <laughs> people in the stands started yelling at us. About what you so then that's when we realized when Com came over us we realized we better get out of there and get to the locker room <laughs> where all those big players are hostile crowd yeah <laughs> wow I thought and it that was... happened to Eddie a couple times even before I started working with him where you know people would get down and and yell on the mic and you know that that's against the wall I uh, I I remember specifically when I was a kid watching a Bucks game on Channel eighteen probably yep. Yeah. Right. Uh, some guy, it was in Chicago, and some guy walked behind you a lot like what you just described, bent down while you guys were halftime. Po- I think it was post game because you could tell Eddie was mad that the Bucks lost. You could yeah. tell yep. you know, Eddie, Eddie, you, Eddie didn't cover up his anger very well when the Bucks lost. He thought they should no, win. No, he, no, he didn't. He no, would do a really didn't. grumpy post game show. Um, yeah, he's that way. Yeah. And, he uh he's doing the the post game. I don't even think you're in the shot. And some guy walks by and yells in Eddie's microphone. He just bends down and yells. You can see his face on TV. And the guy walks away and Eddie turns around away from his mic and goes, That's a federal crime. <laughs> it is, by the way. Yeah, some police there to arrest the guy. <laughs> well, I can't believe FBI it. Agent. He was, he, for a little guy, he was fiery, man, and and there's a lot more stories like that. But you know, um, uh, when we traveled in those days, I mean, there was 15 of us. There were 12 players, see, two coaches, Eddie and a trainer, so 16. And that was it. And so, you know, Eddie was very much a part of the group. We were all part of the group, and we flew commercial. But so when we had layovers and things, you know, we were all together over in an area. And so, you, you know, Eddie was part of our group. He was he was our guy. Yeah. And And so you really got to know each other you know, even though they fly charter today, a lot of them play cards and stuff, and a lot of them are on their own, you know, individual devices. Whereas we spent a lot of time together, and Eddie was very much a part of that. So when we'd get into cities, you know, we'd go to some of us, you know, different groups would go together. And Eddie, you know, went with, with me and, and who I was with um, often for dinner. And also, you know, you became you became friends. And he was a great radio announcer, and I think Ted Davis, our current announcer, is very much like Eddie's style. Um, Ted's really bright and sharp, and he has those different sayings and different things. And the reason Eddie came up with all the nicknames, I, did he tell you that story at all about the first year and the second year and the nicknames? No. Okay, so Ray Patterson was the president of the Bucks, who... West Pavilion had, had hired, and th- those were our owners, West Pavilion, Mark Fishman, and a group. And they hired Ray Patterson, who had been the president at uh, Wayland Academy. And they knew him. He's a bright man. And they hired him. And, and then he hired Eddie, who had been a disc jockey, who was the Duke of Dilemma in, in this, town. In this building right here. Yeah. That's yeah. exactly right. Yes which is a great story because he's told me stories about the breaks at midnight. You know, he'd be there all night doing push-ups or running in the halls to try, <laughs> try to stay awake and work out. 
And so they hired him, the Duke of Dilemma, and um, Patterson told him, if you don't create interest the first year, you're gone. And Eddie was hired as the, the public relations guy, the announcer, the promotions guy, the guy to do everything. So Eddie realized, I've got to be creative. So that's when he came up with giving us nicknames and the Doucette Dictionary grew out of all that. <laughs> you know, the Cyclops, uh, which is the center of the floor, the toaster under the basket. All of that grew out of that need to keep his job and create interest, and which he did in those early years. And even as you guys know today, um, hey, I'm Johnny Mac everywhere I go. Uh, I used to get, when I had my businesses and people could call me, and I would take calls, I would get people call, and they'd say, hey, John, we got four guys here. We got a bet. What was Greg Smith's nickname? What was Dick Cunningham's nickname? Uh, and they'd ask me questions to to settle the bets they would have on Eddie's nicknames. So there's a lot of stories in history that that funnel into all this work. And 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 I think Ted is is just as good uh, on radio. Jim on TV has to work differently and is very good as well in a different form because it has to be different. You know, on radio you got to paint a picture. So those are some quick stories. That's what I hear. <laughs> but you guys know. That's you know. Exactly. <clears throat> exactly. Well, you know, Have I got to get... Have you ever heard the one you got a great face for radio? Yeah. No, I've heard know, that, right? yeah. I you heard that one. I heard it... I did 40 games on radio before I did a TV game because we didn't do a lot of TV in in uh, 76. And uh, and radio real help, really helped prepare me to do the TV games. But the radio is the play-by-play man's forum today. TV is the color man's forum. Um, that's how much it's changed. Oh, you know? sure. I can see yeah. that. Well, you yeah. weren't you weren't going to scare anybody when you got on TV. Everybody had seen you playing. They knew who John McLaughlin was oh, sure. when you got in front of the camera. It might have seemed a little different having you in a suit, coat, and a tie, you know, holding a microphone. But, you know, got used well, to it pretty quickly. Well, it's the first time they saw me with clothes on. I mean, you know. <laughs> Wait a minute, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, in those days we had the short shorts, remember? Right. And I don't remember played. if you guys had warm-up uh, pants or you just had a, a kind of a jacket. <laughs> kind of a we, we beachwear jacket. We had pants and a jacket, and then we had a shooting shirt under it that most of us came out of the top jacket and wore the shooting shirt first. But... In a lot of the buildings uh, in those days, they were cold. Like, yeah. you go to Cleveland, man, You <laughs> in that old dumpy building they had in downtown Cleveland, uh, I left my sweat clothes on as long as I could. I would have played in them if they let me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, yeah. Was, it was, and it was in Cleveland where you're freezing in the old building where one of the games, uh, I forget who, but one of our guys broke the backboard by dunking, and Eddie had to fill for an hour and a half. While they because prepared they had to go it? back to the studio then. Yeah. And he was working alone and had to fill for an hour and a half while they brought <laughs> in a new backboard. Uh, what a nightmare. Oh, yeah. What good, a good nightmare that would have been. 
you know, yeah. back at headquarters, can't you just spin some tunes? I would have just started reading out of the program at that point, you know, going through the Bucks media guide or something like that. Yeah, and, get out a newspaper. No, no, you'd be yelling, Brian, where are you? Yeah, right, yeah. but there but there was no Brian to come to the rescue at that point. You no, said you were working no. on your own. You and, said, then, and then, you know, uh, Gus Johnson, who played for the Bullets, uh, Honeycomb, he broke a backboard here in Milwaukee. At the time, we were up like 30 but we had to wait, oh, I think an hour or so after. Um, so people broke, broke backboards before Shaquille O'Neal ever came around. And um, then that prompted the NBA to say everybody's got to have backup uh, backboards. Right. And then as time went on, and we got into the, I don't know, 90s or 80s, the NBA started making cities, the, the buildings we played in, have uniform uh, backboards, stanchions, floors, because up to that point, you know, you'd go to New York and they had short nets. You'd go to St. Louis, they had long nets. Uh, depending on the style of play, you'd have um, you'd have one pole in some buildings as as that held the hoop up, and in other buildings you'd have a whole you know a whole variety of, of support system. Hmm. So. The Boston Garden, if you look at the old pictures of uh, like the, the the Bill Russell days and John Havlicek and Don Nelson when they were playing, there's big old cables coming off of that backboard that run along the baseline. Am I remembering that correctly? That's correct. Yeah. And, and that, we actually lost a game in Milwaukee our first year to the Bulls because um, Don Smith was taking the ball out under our basket with like seconds to go raised the ball above his head and hit one of those those cables that was lower oh. and and it gave the ball back to the Bulls and a guy by the name of Shower Halliman hit one in the corner at the buzzer to beat us by one. Those cables, but, John, are as stupid as having the goalposts in the front of the end zone. <laughs> exactly. And 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 the NFL changed over time, so did the NBA. We you'd play in Boston or the old garden in New York and they had soft spots on the court that you you had to learn. So I'm a rookie playing in New York in the Old Garden, and I'm on a fast break, and I'm in the middle. I got guys on wings, and at, at mid court, I'm flying, and the next thing I know, I'm trying to dribble, and there's no ball. Right, because the ball didn't bounce back because you hit a dead spot. Yeah, it, it was laying on the floor at mid court <laughs> in the garden. <laughs> But the home guys, that was a true home home court advantage. Well, yeah. They they knew the where Knicks all the dead the spots were and they knew where they were. The Knicks and Celtics knew where they were and as a rookie I didn't. And so you learned. So the NBA has changed all that, obviously, and it's 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 come into a new segment. Do you remember um I think it was on Cheers, the section they did on the Boston Garden and and the parquet floor and how many rivets were in the floor. It, it was a. It was one of their shows. You know, one of their. Yeah. So, Eddie and I are doing a game in Boston, and the game ends, and I go down to the court to do interviews. Eddie stays up, and it, we had to work a game in a perch, and you had to wind up through the back of the building and then climb down into this perch that hung off of the second balcony. Okay. Yeah, it sounds like a real dump, John. <laughs> It was a major dump, yeah. and, but it was Boston Garden. You know, it had a history. 
and that perch would, as as the fans would stomp and cheer, it would move. You know, like in Madison when they do the dance around. Yeah, the jump around at at Camp Randall. Yeah, same thing. So I go down to do the interviews after the game, and I'm interviewing guys over in the corner uh, of the floor, and I can hear them kicking the floor up. And then Eddie and I, in those days, we had to filter the hour. So if the game ended at 20 till 10, we had to fill 20 minutes. Sometimes we had to fill 30, 40 minutes. Yeah, because, okay, yeah. yeah, you just had to take it up to the top of the hour. Don't worry, yeah. John. There'll be someone in at the top of the hour. <laughs> well, that's, that's how 45 minutes away. You're talking about bad TV or bad. Yeah. So I'm doing, so then my last interview, you know, no more players would come out. So I'm standing there, and Eddie and I are going back and forth, back and forth, and I can hear, and then it went silent. And then finally, Eddie and I finished, and I threw it to him, and I put my mic down, and I turned around, and there were like 15 guys with their hands on their hips, gruff in their face, looking at me like, get the uh out of here, because I was on the last parquet slip that they had to take out. Oh, really? Because there was was, going to be a Bruins game there. Yeah. yeah, they had to get ready for a hockey game. And uh, I was on that one piece of parquet left, and they were mad, man. And um, I still don't know how many rivets are in the floor, though. I can't tell you that. What was the uh, what was the venue in Cincinnati? Your first two years in the NBA were in Cincinnati. What, what was that venue, and what was that like? Well, all the buildings were older buildings, like the old stadium at Chicago and and like the arena here, uh, they were all of you know built in the forties and fifties, and so I think Cincinnati Garden is still, it's still there, and it was like St. Louis. It was like you know up here. It was like most of the buildings. When I came in that first year, there were only nine NBA teams. Yeah. So, so you know we we didn't we only had two teams on the West Coast. San Francisco Warriors and, and Los Angeles Lakers. They had a little bit better buildings, but not much. They played the Cow Palace in San Francisco, and they played out at um, where they had the Olympics out. Uh, I don't know where it is in, in in L.A., but it was a dump too. <laughs> and uh, but I was thinking of those was old like, places, and I think how dark they were. It's like I was going to say the crowd just dark. went up into the darkness. They were dark, and but you you weren't you knew it was dark, but you just lived with it. You didn't know anything different. When we came to Milwaukee, and after the first year, we had Kareem, and then we started getting national television. The Bucks were required to put in TV lights on the sides. Yeah. So we suddenly had bright lights and a bright building uh, in our second year in Milwaukee. I always thought that felt. Uh... More intimate though, when just the the court was lit and you couldn't see the crowd, it was just darkness up in there. It made it made it feel like there was an immense crowd up there, no matter uh, what the size of it was. Well, it was more intimate, and I have people all over the years come up to me and say how much they liked coming to games there because they could see the players, they could get close to us. I think after they did a remodel, we it seated like eleven thousand fifty four when we won the championship, which is, you know, uh, our, our new building today is, what, 17? Yeah. It's a little bigger. I it's a little bit bigger. Center. Yeah, You know what else made it really intimate, John? 
the old the old, the old uh, arena and the old Mecca. The fact that you could just sit there and have a cigarette during the Bucks game. <laughs> I remember sitting. I remember sitting there in high school and dudes would be smoking cigars and cigarettes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, what are you kidding? Well, me? no, Smokey Hayes would go up to the top of the, the right. The and I, re- and I remember thinking, team. well, it must not affect the players. It must stay up here, you know, on top because you know we're buying the cheap seats back then. Well, you, you know, in in my whole era, growing up and through that era, you know, everywhere you went, they smoked movie theaters, airplanes. Right. So we kind of just accepted it. You you didn't think about it because there was no option, and so and every, and everybody did it. So you just accepted it. But I I do re- recall in the old garden in New York going in there my first year. And seeing the smoke haze in the top of that building, right. which came which came down near the court, and um, I, I do recall reacting to that. And and uh, some guys, if you had if you had any kind of an asthma problem, you were in trouble. Yeah, I bet but, you were. But in, in those days, in '65, '67, you'd go to a game in New York in the Old Garden, and and I never thought about this till later. It was predominantly men it, you didn't see a yeah. lot of women and and why would they and, want to go at all that cigar smoke filled well, right. arenas and, they were glad to have the guy get away from right them. well and everybody in there or a lot of the people in there they were gambling on the game yeah oh yeah <laughs> and, then, and then the nba took a hard stance on that years <laughs> later obviously but but anyway i i don't be one of those guys that, that tells people you know i walked to school in the snow barefoot. I, I, I understand, but I don't think I think a lot of people out there don't realize. You know, if you watch an old boxing match, an old black and white boxing match, the cloud above the uh, the uh, yep. the ring is 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 thick. You know, it's, <laughs> you were you were sitting ringside smoking a cigar. You know, feet away from these guys who had trained for the fight of their life. Well, who are also smoking after a hard well, workout. Well, that's that's true. 